come with us now, if you dare, down a rickety staircase into a dank, dark basement. What awaits the Saturday Night Freak Show? <laughs> hey, thanks for listening to the Saturday Night Freak Show podcast. We're a book club for movies that meets every Saturday, and we're here to take over your world. The way you can help us in our quest for global world domination is to go over to wherever you found us and give us a like, a star rating, or a review. All of that stuff helps us get found by other like-minded folks like you. So if you can help us out in that task, that would be fantastic. We would forever be in your debt. These are the Internet Radio Superstars. Michaela. Sean. And I'm Colin. We're missing Kayla, Holly. I'm glad tonight. you did the lean in. So I was just like, ah. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming, Sean. Get ready like, for it. Yeah, it's me. That's right. Still. That's right. Three months in, still working still out the kinks it out. of the COVID-19 work from or whatever. Uh, uh, separate. We're separate, but together here. Separate, but equal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> separate, but equal basements. Yeah. There you go. Uh, tonight, we watched a movie that was chosen by. Sean. Sean, what did we watch tonight? Uh, we watched uh, 1977's The Town That Dreaded Sundown. And who is this directed by? Charles B. Pierce. And we would know him from? Well, uh, he's got a few films. The one he's probably otherwise most known for is The Legend of Boggy Creek. Mm-hmm. That was his first uh, his first film that he did. Yeah. 72? Oh, I'm probably wrong on that. I'm surprised, actually, there's that much of a gap between the, uh, Legend of Boggy Creek and this. The, well, he did. He must have done Winterhawk, like, in between, because there was oh, Winterhawk. Yeah, a couple movies in between. Yeah, Winterhawk, Gray Eagle, whatever. Yeah. Because uh, the poster for Winterhawk is in, is on the theater marquee in the town of Dreaded Sundown. Right. He did uh, Bootleggers as well. Okay. Did you see Bootleggers? And he, no, uh, he was also the set decorator on Black Belt Jones. Oh, yeah. Which is what I want as a credit. <laughs> well, he was a set decorator on a couple movies, wasn't he? He I think that was what he was doing in addition to directing. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much. I mean, I guess we should talk a little bit about Charles B. Pierce only because he is, I think, still regarded as one of the like pioneer independent uh, movie makers. You yes, know? earlier on, very much. Because this is, we're talking about like a time when, um, you know, to get a movie, because now everybody can make a movie. Everybody's got, you know, they can go out and get a camera, fairly inexpensive, or can rent one, or somehow have access to it, and you can make a movie basically on a DSLR, right? Yeah, um, on your phone. Yeah, or, and as long as you have editing software, you know, it's like, boom, away you go. But back in this era... Uh, there had to, there was still money involved, I and mean, we were talking several tens of thousands of dollars generally to make a movie. Yeah, you um, had to get backers, and shit, and you had to be somewhat, you know, technically proficient, right? Because I mean, there wasn't, you know, hey, we can just shoot this until we figure it out. It's like you're burning film, and that cost a shitload of money. So, you know, you had to have yep. people who knew what they were doing, and you know, exposures and stuff like that, so your lights would actually show up. Um. And then distribution was kind of a, you know, I mean, you would aim to basically make product for uh, not so much like big theaters because they were all, you know, owned for a while by the studios. Right. I think yeah. until the 40s or 50s. And then uh, but drive ins were owned and operated for the most part. They weren't part of like a national 
um, chain. So drive-ins were always looking for product, and that was kind of where these guys would uh, operate, right? I mean, this is basically, uh, to me, Charles B. Pierce is in the same league as far as like independent, you know, a filmmaker as like a George Romero. Yeah. Right. I don't agree on that. He's a regional guy from Pittsburgh. Uh, Pierce is a regional guy from uh, Arkansas. It was Arkansas or Texas. Where's he from? Uh, he was born in Indiana, but lived in um, Texarkana. So around that area for most of his life. Texarkana is a city in which state? I, I think, think it's, it's Texas on the border. <laughs> it's all I saw a map. I don't know where I saw a map recently that was pointing out Texarkana, but it's like it's like it's right there. Yeah, like it's all three. Well, what if I, I think it's in Arkansas? What if I told you there are two Texarkanas? They're butted right up against each other on the line, but they are two separate cities. One is in Texas and one is in Arkansas. I looked this up because that's not I was, confusing at all. Right. <laughs> so you no, to, and so they're both just called Texarkana. Yeah. But I think, and I could be wrong about this, but I mean, I was looking, this is still current on the, on the geographical maps, uh, that they're two separate entities. So that would mean one is governed by the laws of Texas, one governed by the laws of Arkansas. And that would mean they have separate like mayors. I don't know. These, this is a fascinating thing that we're going to have to drill into at some point in <laughs> right. the future. I didn't know this. But now <laughs> so that means we were both right then. Yes. Uh, yes very true. <laughs> it was a trick question. <laughs> it's true. And then Louisiana gets none of the credit. Right, right. It's like the third one in the name. Because then that's Arklatex, right? When you're in that uh, area down there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, well, so Pierce lived in, in Texas, you said, after Indiana? Yeah. And he right, got there. the, uh, I mean, I know, you know, we, if we talk a little bit about uh, the legend of Boggy Creek and just how, you know, it's like, so that's about the, the Falk. Falk, Arkansas, Mount yes. monster. <laughs> yes, the big lumbering Falk, Arkansas monster. Um, Colin, you've seen this movie, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. How long ago? Uh, it was probably oh god, the first time within the last five years. Okay, and then okay. Joe Bob Briggs showed it too. I saw it's it there. Very boring. <laughs> uh, I had uh, I watched it in preparation for this because I'd never seen it before. I watched it like two days ago. Uh, and for some reason I had like a religious experience watching this movie. Yes. I was very high at the time, but <laughs> still, uh, that's, it didn't feel like just like a nature documentary to you. It did, but it was also like beautiful. Like I thought, especially the cleaned up version that is now on prime and everything. Like it, it's like, I thought it looked great. It reminded me of, um, you know, when you're a kid, when playing in the woods and everything, and you think you see some shit off in the woods, but I want a big little kid. I know, I know. It's like not ripping a people's movie. arms off. Yeah. No, it is. It is a, a lumbering monster movie, quote unquote. You know, listeners, if you know of a good Bigfoot movie, write in and tell me because I'd really like to see a good one. Have we cracked that nut? Have we got a I good don't think so. Bigfoot That's movie? Big, well, everybody would go with this. Harry and the Hendersons, right? But you're looking oh, for a geez. scary one. I mean, I'm looking for more of like a horror. Centric. More death. Yeah. More death than yeah. Harry and the Hendersons. I'm not saying Harry and the Hendersons is bad. It has its purpose. Yeah. So we've, we've filled that niche. Now let's work on the horror Bigfoot one. The Willow right. Creek really doesn't give you a Bigfoot that you want. I the Bobcat. Oh, you know, I might bring that movie just so I can like have a <laughs> all the oh, problems. No. What about uh, Abominable? The one with uh, Lance Hendrickson briefly in it? Abominable? I think they actually I've never did seen have a. That one. Okay, well, that might be the one you're looking for. I mean, yeah. 
You should check yeah, this that is a out. genre I have not explored much. Bigfoot movie. Yeah, I think maybe, maybe this is tying it back to the town that dreaded sundown. But I think uh, Ralph McQuarrie, uh, you know who that is, the artist. He did the that posters. Sounds- yeah, yeah. For the Star Wars movies, Back to the yeah. Future. Uh, I think maybe Ralph McQuarrie did the poster for Abominable, but he also did the poster for The Town at Dreaded Sundown. <laughs> Great poster. <laughs> it's a good poster. Good poster and a good tagline. What's the tagline? Uh, in 1946, this man killed five people. Today, he still lurks the streets of Texarkana, Arkansas. Wasn't there, a, if I if I remember correctly from my research, uh, there was a lawsuit over that claim about this movie, yeah. right? Yeah. What happened? They didn't, they didn't, they, well, they, I think they, uh, they had the tagline, and then I think he got sued for it because it's, I mean, nobody knows if it's true uh, at, at that point, but uh, Texarkana didn't like that idea as far as like how it's going to affect tourism and the people who live here. Um, so they sued to get it taken off, but I'm pretty sure it just stayed. Yeah. I mean, I think I mean, it, there's, there's nothing that says this is like a documentary. You know what I'm saying? Like you could make the argument. This is a fictional movie. And so yeah, I, I, I know it was based on real events, but this movie yeah. is fictional. Yes. Yeah, it's based on a series of murders that happened in 1946 called the moonlight murders. Am I right? Texarkana Moonlight Murders or something like that? Correct. Did you, I know Michaela is our resident true crime buff. I mean, uh, how familiar were you with uh, this case? Pretty familiar. This case is always interesting to me because like, it's, it like, obviously Zodiac took a lot from this guy, right? Um, But also like, it kind of is laughable to me because his like rate of which people he attacked and people that actually died is very low. Kind of like Son of Sam. Son of Sam attacked a lot of people, but killed very few. That's how this guy is, too. Yeah, they survived. They were attacked, but survived. And then, but nobody was able to identify him. Was no, he was never apprehended. Was he actually called the Phantom Killer in real yes. life? Mm-hmm. Or the the Phantom Killer, the Phantom Slayer? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, that part is real. Some of the depictions of the deaths in the uh, film are more or less accurate. Some are not. Well, they give the illusion. I mean, so that's basically, so this is what Charles B. Pierce did with the, the legend of Boggy Creek, which I think was part of its mystique and why it became a success was he blends, um, docudrama with fiction. I mean, the movies are fiction, but they, they, they come up. Well, doggy Boggy Creek actually does kind of play like a documentary where they've restaged Right. They're like, and this is a dramatization of what happened yeah. that night, you know, but they do actually talk to like some of the, the people who were involved, I think. So there's a lot of like real life, you know, non-actors in that movie. Yes. Right. And that a movie lot, yes. became so successful. I think uh, it made uh, $25 million in 1973, which was one of Can the biggest. Can you believe that? Yeah. That's crazy. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. For this little movie that didn't cost much at all. What was it? It was like under 3 million or something like that. Probably less like seven, oh, 750,000 like, or something like that. I think he only got like 150,000 to make that movie. Yeah. And it has sure some, it was pretty cheap. 
some great musical interludes. It's a very folksy movie because it's playing specifically, like we said, these regional movies. Regional movies are like uh, movies made for a certain uh, geographical region because at this point in time, you know, only the major studios and, and a lot of movies would uh, play at like one theater in one city. And then they'd actually take that print because they didn't have enough to make a thousand prints. They'd have like a print and they yeah. get in the car and drive that to the next theater in the next city for the next weekend. Right. So it'd move across the country that way. So yeah, it's that's not how going- he started it with Boggy Creek. He started in one theater because he couldn't get distribution and it made like 55,000 in its run in that just small theater, him doing it by himself. And then he finally got picked up for distribution. And it was AIP, I think American international that, uh, that picked that up. Uh, that or, uh, ha- it was Sam Arco. Oh, really? I think so for Boggy Creek. Okay. I was just curious. Cause I saw Sam Arkoff's name on the front of town that dreaded sundown. So that's why I was wondering if, uh, yeah, I think it was different for um, this one. Okay, than Boggy Creek. Well, Boggy Creek was a big success. It led to a career for Charles B. Pierce. Uh, you know, the makers of the Blair Witch Project have always cited that as kind of an inspiration, along with uh, what In Search of the old TV show. Uh, mm-hmm. Charles B. Pierce, um, he worked in Hollywood. He was a production designer and a bunch of stuff. If I'm correct, right? He worked on yes. Outlaw Josie Wales, uh, Hondo with John Wayne, Coffee, Black Belt Jones, as you mentioned. He wrote the story for Sudden Impact, the Dirty Harry mm-hmm. movie. And apparently he says that he came up with the line, go ahead, make my day. Mm-hmm. Uh, because his dad had said that to him, you know, while he was mowing or something like that, right? Yeah. Legend has it. He He wrote that line. But ironically, the same year that that Sudden Impact came out or the year before in Vice Squad, somebody yes. says, go ahead and make my day. So <laughs> apparently, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, before he was um, before he got into movies, he was a weatherman and then a children's cartoon show host in the 60s, uh, which I've always thought is like, you know, basically this is, is going to tweak your brain. Right. We always think of like the horror movie host doing the movies at night. Right children's tv show hosts and bozo the clown that were the horror movie host for cartoons for kids in the <laughs> afternoons right and this is just tv you know tv stations would do this seen as equally creepy. <laughs> right yeah. <laughs> um but yeah he went on to make uh bootleggers winterhawk gray eagle and boggy creek 2 eventually which is apparently one of the worst movies ever made and is featured on mystery science theater there's also Does a re- that one end with like 30 Bigfoots or something like that. Does it? That's what I've heard. Oh, I've heard well, the well, ending. Now- the reveal is like there's like a whole horde of them. Oh, now I want to watch it. I know. That's how where I'm at. I kind of want to see it. That might be your, on the first one. Maybe that's your Bigfoot movie. It might be. <laughs> there's also a return to Boggy Creek, which was not directed by him. Uh, so there's like three Boggy Creek movies out there. They got to bring that back. I mean, how come we're not still going? The monster's never been caught. You can go out there right now and go find the Falk monster. Because when we do, we get movies like Willow Creek. Yeah. That's right. They're going after the wrong one. They're going after the Bigfoot. You want to go after the Falcon monster. Yeah, Look, Yeti I just or something want someone to find a big hairy monster. Yeah. Like, we should have done this by now. Well, the, the problem with Willow Creek is you won't see it in the movie. <laughs> like, it's, at all. Yeah. It's all implication. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, then comes 
The Town That Dreaded Sundown, a movie with one of the greatest titles probably in movie history, right? I'd say so, yeah. Absolutely. Um, great title. So I was watching this. So it's okay. So it's going to be, I mean, it kind of presents itself as, is it, it's like a docudrama we're saying? Basically. I mean, it's, it's got For a narrator. The narrator kind of gives you that, you know, it was a cold night in March 3rd, 1946 when, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's a very reassuring yeah. guy. Did you get his name? The narrator. That's Vern, Vern something. I forgot his name. Vern. Should have been nominated for an Oscar. Um, <laughs> Probably. Yeah. And you said he was the guy who did Legend of Boggy Creek also. Yes. He also narrates Legend of Boggy Creek. Uh, he, he's great. I, I love that narration because he's, um, because it is such a uh, uh, more of a nature documentary. He, when he's talking about his subjects, he gives little asides about them and their personal information, which is it's incredible. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's fun. And we get a little bit of that here, right? As he's doing the setup, because basically, and I know Holly was watching some of it with us last night, but the the you know she was like, "This isn't the movie that I thought it was going to be." Town the dreaded sundown, and it's right. because we go into it with like we think that it's a slasher movie. Right. But it's actually a movie that's just kind of seeped in the atmosphere of this town in 1946 and the effect that these murders have kind of the on the psychology of the town. Am I wrong there? But you're only seeing this through the perspective of like several central characters. And then we do get, I guess, what would be, um, you know, a forerunner of what you would see in slasher movies a decade later. Uh, the stalking scenes, um, the killer looks, I mean, obviously that look, you know, he's got a hood on his head, um, yeah, head. that would be appropriated later in Friday, the 13th part two yep. for Jason. There was a lot of shots of where you just see his feet walking around where I'm like, holy fuck, like even the pants are the same. It's like, right? this is it, it all looks the same. It's like, <laughs> holy shit. Yeah. And he's even kind of like a bigger dude, too. Yeah. And he doesn't like say anything similar. Right. Yeah. To the those early Jasons. Yeah. Before he got, you know, Kane Hodder hulked out. But right. I mean, right. just the way that they cover yeah. him is like very Jason-esque in this movie. Very much. You know, good. Uh, almost 15 was 16 years prior to Friday the 13th. Yeah. Can you imagine um, Jason and just in his hockey mask, like working out? Like getting jacked for that eighth movie. Like, oh shit, I'm going to Manhattan. I gotta get, I gotta. This is the, uh, the, the, or the legend of Leslie Vernon. What's that behind the mask? Have you seen this yeah. movie yet? I haven't a, it yet. That is a <laughs> good movie, but I don't know that I want to watch it again. I have it here somewhere, but I have not watched it yet. Hey, you gotta watch it. I'm sure there's lots of cardio, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, the mo- okay, so I mean, how do you want to go into this through the murders or through the characters who deal with the of the of the town? I think we got to go with the characters because the murders are there's a lot more characters than there are murder. Okay, all right. So set yeah. us up. Who who are we seeing this movie through? Whose perspective is this? Mostly, it's um, the police, um, uh, the police and uh, the uh, Texas Rangers that come in at some point in the movie and uh spark plug, but it's mostly through the police and through um, 
uh, a little bit through the people around the town, but I think our way in is the cops. Yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking. You know, when we were talking about, like, I was like, well, you know, I'm saying it, it gives you a, a look at the people, but you really don't, unless you're introduced to them and then they become victims pretty much. Yes. Um, victims and uh, uh, panic. You see them panicking and shut their, you know, the shutters on their house and boarding shit up and all that. I think that's what it does a lot. You know, you're, you're at dining halls and proms and, you know, out on the street, you know, it just kind of gets, there's like a slice of life, but you don't get to meet anybody. It's just, you're kind of absorbing the atmosphere of this town and you're hearing a lot of stuff, you know, about how uh paper boys wouldn't get up, you know, before dawn to deliver the paper, you know, yeah. and uh, all these different community things, which are being shut down and changed as, you know, the phantom Locksmiths killer are overrun with business, even though he only <laughs> attacks you in your car in like the first half of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. This he never breaks be, and enters, right? Um, at the end of the movie, but I mean, people were just like freaking scared at this point. I know it was just comical to me that they were showing a locksmith putting like four deadbolts on that one lady's front door when at that point in the movie he had only attacked like one couple on Lover's Lane. I was like, okay, lady. Yeah, but you're afraid there's a killer out there. Right. The funny thing would have been if she uh, leaves the house, locks her four deadbolts, gets in her car, and the phantom (laughs) runs up and fucking kills her. Yes. It's like, oh, if you were only in your house with your four kids. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, um, here's another question. Okay. Uh, true crime, Michaela. What do mm-hmm. you remember? What years of the Zodiac was active? The late sixties. Okay. So he never made, he never, he wasn't active into the seventies then. I, uh, 72, I think. Maybe early seventies is when it stopped. Okay. So that would be. At the yeah. time this movie was either in production or coming out, Zodiac is very much, we assume, on the public conscience of, or conscious of the American psyche, right? Through the news. Correct. Yeah, he's known. Um, we're also kind of reeling from the home invasion-y uh, terror attack of the Manson family. I think uh, Charles Manson has been, um, you know, uh, accused and caught at this point in time in the 70s, right? He was mm-hmm. caught at the end of the 60s. So this is kind of like where your head, because that's what I was watching this going like, okay, this is playing off. And when did Dirty Harry come out? Because Dirty Harry was also like about a Zodiac type killer, right? That was um, the Scorpio. Yeah, that came out in 71. Okay. And that was about cops trying to track down a sniper, somebody who kills at, um, you know, at random motiveless crime and home invasion and people locking their doors. So this was like, I think. That's why I'm like, maybe, you know, to appreciate why this movie became such a big deal at the time is like it was tapping into like something that was in the zeitgeist without actually saying, you know, we're talking about this contemporary thing. We're going to talk about crimes that happened, you know, 30 years ago or whatever. Right. Right. <laughs> um, okay. So the, the primary character, well, I don't even know if it's the primary character, but we are introduced, first of all, to I think it's Norman Ramsey. Uh, sh- yeah, he's uh, not the sheriff, but a, a deputy or an officer. I think he's a lieutenant. Yeah. And this is the other thing that I was trying to uh, ascertain while we were watching the movie. And now, you know, because I was actually Googling, like, where the fuck is Texas? And it was like, well, there's Texas and Arkansas. And I'm like, ooh, is there going to be like a jurisdictional, you know, is one of the guys from uh, Arkansas and the other guys from Texas? Uh, oh, that would be awesome to have like dueling police departments. Like 
at first they're like against each other and then they have to come together yeah. to See, like now catch we, this guy. Now we just want Zodiac. Well, yeah, oh yeah. yeah <laughs> we, were, we, we were watching the movie and they were all messaging like, I want to watch Zodiac after this. Yeah. Just was, like, yeah. But in the remake, I don't, have you seen the remake of The Town That Dreaded Sundown? No, but I know that how the story is different because I've seen, so there's a, there's a documentary called Killer Legends um, made by the same people that did Cropsey and they have a whole section on the, the uh, Texarkana Moonlight Murders and so they talk about both movies and the differences and then how they relate to the real story. Ah, Okay. Then this movie, I think, takes great liberties. You know, it says that it's just changing the names, but I think it's uh, very different. No, it's got big changes. But the, so this the 2014 one, correct me if I'm wrong, but the story is that it's in present day and the, ta- the Texarkana has a screening every year of the movie The Town That Dreads Sundown. Which is true. And, in, and yeah, and in this movie, someone goes to the screening and is inspired by the movie to start killing again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a reason. Um, apparently there was a. Well, uh, don't don't spoil it for those vi- who haven't seen it. But. Well, no, I'm not going to say the end, but there, there's like a victim that's not recognized. In the older. In like, yeah. In the older version. And so they're yeah, like, yeah. remember, but yeah. And Charles Pierce is a character. It's like a meta meta remake. Or it's meta. his son. Yeah. yeah. His son is a character. Yeah. Because the killer restages some of the famous moments from this movie in that one but you know it's all yeah and then you meet the guy who movie made the has movie the same and, title as the movie it's referencing in the movie yeah yeah it's very confusing and at the beginning they're at the drive-in watching the original town that dreaded sundown yeah it's kind of i mean it's it's uh from the people well i think what, the guy who directed it was a cinematographer on a lot of the american horror story stuff so i mean it's it's stylish it's pretty interesting yeah. it just kind of you know doesn't necessarily hold up by the time you get all the way through it but it's probably one of you know how many actual slasher movies do we have in the modern era there's like that and my bloody valentine you know or happy death day right. to, <laughs> happy death day so if you haven't seen it you should check it out yeah i, I remember watching it and thinking it was pretty good the um so norman ramsey is um well he's played by the actor andrew prime yes uh andrew prime is um a guy have you guys seen this guy before uh, yes, I've seen him in John Wayne movies. I don't think so. Well, he was in, uh, or Andrew Prine, sorry, with an N, not an M. Uh, he was in yes. Chisholm. That was the John Wayne movie. I think he was in several others, but horror movie aficionados will recognize him from a movie called Simon King of the Witches. Anyone? <laughs> no. No. Okay. Is, is he Simon? Is He, the he is the Simon, witches? the King of the Witches. But he was also in The Evil with Richard Crenna. He was in uh, Grizzly, the movie that has yet right. to come to the Saturday Night Freak Show, where he starred alongside Christopher George and Richard Jekyll. He was right. a priest in Amityville 2, The Possession. Uh, he was in Lords of Salem, the Rob Zombie movie, as um, uh, Jonathan Hawthorne. And But most people of my era will remember him as one of the lizard people uh, in Stephen the Visitor in v uh both uh, the it v all comes and, back to v. <laughs> yeah it really does <laughs> it's always coming back to v and it turns out so we are inducting andrew prine into the saturday night freak show wall of fame yay 
This was a contentious thing between myself and MF Mad, the keeper of the Wall of Fame, because, of course, he shoots Uh-oh. out and he's like, yeah, you've watched Lords of Salem and you watched The Town at Dreaded Sundown. And you've watched Terror Circus. And I'm like, oh, Wait, what? let me stop you there, my friend. We I don't think we've watched Terror Circus. <laughs> well, it's because well, we didn't see it under that name. And actually, I don't think you or I were there, Sean, but apparently one of the drive-in episodes that we did. Uh, we there were four movies at the drive-in that night, and it was Fright Night, Death Race 2000, Friday the 13th Part 7, and a movie called The Barn of the Naked Dead, Cape Circus, aka Terror Circus, starring Andrew Prine. Really? <laughs> you had I didn't know he was in that movie. <laughs> so, that were you there for that? Strange drive-in lineup. My God, that is an all-over-the-place lineup. Those are some of those are drive-in movies. <laughs> yeah, 2000 is. So, so you were there movie. there that night. Did you stay was, for? We left, we left before Barn of the Naked yeah, Dead, which so did I didn't I. think that was a movie that needed two alternate titles, but whatever. Yeah, there you go. So there you go. Welcome Andrew Prime to this, the the Immortal Hall of the Saturday Night Freak Show Wall of Fame. Welcome, welcome. Um, so he is tasked with trying to solve these murders. Um, what, uh, what, ha- how does the phantom choose his victim? What's his modus operandi? What do we got here? Uh, he likes lovers lane couples who parked out in the middle of nowhere. And who would, I mean, it's prime pickings. I love though, the one guy that I think it's after the prom dance and like at the, towards the end of the movie and he's trying to get his date to go with them. And she's like, no, we can't. It's not safe. He's like, well, that's on this road. If we go to this road, we'll be fine. Okay, sure, sure man. Because that's how this <laughs> works. Will, he only sticks to one make, road. You will make any excuse. You will ex- uh, stretch any truth. You will do whatever you can to get laid. Yeah. Especially <laughs> in high school. Especially in high school. We'll be it's safe like, over yeah, here. Be fine. You will justify anything in your head. Well, it doesn't work out too good for the first couple, uh, like Penny May Roger and, you know, whatever. His name. <laughs> you gotta, yeah. Got to try and at some point nail down this, uh, this great narrator. Um, but they go out to Lover's Lane and the Phantom. I can't remember if we see, because the way he seems to work, maybe we don't see it in that one. He just kind of shows up at the car. And this is a scene. Yeah, he pulls him out the window. This is a scene that it feels like when I was watching it last night, I'm like, oh, my God, how many times have I seen this scene in a movie? Um, You know, where you got two people in a car and like, did you hear something outside? And then, you know, a guy pops up and uh, and attacks people, drags them out of the car, ties them up or whatever, you know, and assaults them Um, because it is Zodiac and, you know, maniac. We saw something like that. And. Yeah, the remake of the town that dreaded sundown and you know any of those uh urban legend yeah any of the lovers lane uh, tons of movies yeah you just gotta remember what year this came out though right right yeah yes this is very early in that uh that whole thing oh this is the same year as the texas chainsaw massacre right 1970 what'd you say is this 77 oh is it I thought it was 74. Is it 77? Is it that late? 77. Okay. 77. All right. Well, then I am incorrect. So, uh, so there had been Texas chainsaw was out by then. Right. Um, so he doesn't, he fails in killing both of these people, right? Maybe he wasn't trying to kill them. Yeah. I mean, maybe not. I mean, he pulls one of the dudes out of the window and then we, it, it cuts away until, uh, 
someone finds the woman on the side of the road. Um, she's alive. She's begging for help. But she gets found, and then the police show up and find the other guy. So they both survived this. Uh, which is a lot like Zodiac. Yeah. Re- well, yeah. Yeah, which is, I'm. that's what I'm saying. It's like, are, are they taking from the actual Moonlight murders, or are they incorporating stuff about the Zodiac? So I'm sorry, my whole timeline is off then. So the, that a wasn't. the Moonlight murders, like, victims did live and through the attacks like he only killed like five out of like 12 people he attacked okay. yeah, it was like 10 or 12 people that got attacked and only yeah. five died yeah. um i don't i didn't look it up and i i should have i don't know if because uh, on the first victim and another victim right after this um she was chewed on um i think that's uh uh something that happened in these murders but i don't know for sure I believe so. Okay, if he chewed on his victims, yeah. like those bite marks, visible bite marks on the victims' backs, the woman. It yeah. kind of makes you wonder, though. Like, was the Zodiac a copycat of the Phantom Killer? The, yeah, the original like, the Phantom Killer. So similar. And bag on his head. I mean, it depends on how much press this would have gotten at that time. I don't know how. You know, I mean, this is the thing where. You know, what was, uh, I mean, in the movie, we're led to believe that, you know, national TV networks come down there eventually because there's this guy does a pattern where he kills every 21 days, apparently, at least initially, that's his cycle, right? Every right. 21 days, he attacks somebody on a lover's lane. Um, he, at one point, we see a guy like following a woman from a grocery store. You know, he sees her at the grocery store and then he follows her and then there's an attack and he ends up tying uh his victims to a tree and then biting them we don't see him actually bite it we see the after effect of this and they have the 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 makeup effect is to basically take the upper teeth from like a jawline like the whole thing all the way back to the molars and press that into the uh the actress's back to get that and i'm like i don't think that's how that works (laughs) no but i'm like i get it those are supposed to be teeth (laughs) (laughs) right does it come across that's all we need yeah and he does clock a couple of people good with a uh like a metal pole or something right this guy's a very heavy breather yeah yeah they really the direction was like all right uh be dramatic because we need something that makes your face look dramatic since you have a stack over it. And so it's heavy breathing is what they decided to go with. And this is pre Halloween or anything like that. So, I mean, the heavy breathing thing that's always been a part of uh, psycho killers and a mask, you know, um, he has, of course, he's got these bright blue eyes and they're always doing that. Now, you know, later I associate with Jason just kind of open wide and staring all the time through the, uh, the slits in the hood. Um, would you? I mean, okay. So for those sequences of the movie, I mean, like, is this uh, effectively creepy? Does does it work in these horror scenes? Or did you Kayla, think? It was- I can't hear you anymore. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Sorry, having mic difficulties. Uh, um, I I don't I don't know that it works for me. I can't decide. Like, I'm really on the fence with this movie as a whole, but like. I don't feel like they're shot like slasher scenes. Right. I think it's, I mean, I think it's, um, I mean, kind of like the, what we were talking about earlier. You, you've seen these things before. You just have to remember when they came out. But I mean, we've seen this 
before. So well, I mean, we, I you're saying that before this movie, we're saying in our lives, we've seen it, but this yes. was one of the, so this is like a prototypical kind of how you shoot a stock and slash sequence. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they haven't quite, you know, finessed it out to there. They haven't had their Halloween uh, epiphany, you know, yet. Right. Or the, the yeah. subsequent Friday the 13th and all that. Um, the, um, the killer so befuddles the local police department that they have to call in the uh, Texas Rangers and they send them a legendary Texas Ranger, the lone wolf. What was his name? Uh, JT Morales, JT Morales. Okay, there you go. Uh, JT Morales. It turns out is based on an actual Morales. Sorry, JD Morales. He's based on an actual guy named Manuel Trezazas Gonzalez, who yes. was the uh, first American of Spanish descent to become a captain in the Texas Rangers. This guy apparently lived a life because he was a major in the Mexican Army in 1911. He was a special U.S. Treasury agent in 1915. Uh, like I said, he became the captain of the Texas Rangers. And then after he retired in 1951, he became a Hollywood consultant and eventually died of cancer in Dallas at the age of 85. So it's pretty good life. <laughs> I mean, except for the dying of cancer thing, that's he lived. Yeah. I mean, that's what you want to do, right? Is, uh, you know, serve out your career, then retire to Hollywood and go, you know, be a consultant in the movies. Right. Um, but he's played JD Morales, uh, his, uh, alter ego in the movie is played by the great Ben Johnson from the wild bunch. Right. Yep. Uh, he was, he was also in a bunch of John Wayne movies. This is all coming back to John Wayne. Uh, Ford yeah, Apache. Well, this is the re reuniting of uh, him and Andrew Prime from Chisholm. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Cause they were both in that, right? They were both in Chisholm together. Yeah. Well, you would also probably, I mean, if you're a John Wayne fan, uh, Ford Apache, she wore a yellow ribbon, Rio Grande, uh, the Wild Bunch, you know, is a Western classic that's got Ben Johnson in it as one of the Wild Bunch. And uh, in later years, he was in Red Dawn um, briefly as the guy who helps uh, Patrick Swayze and, and gives shelter to Patrick Swayze and Charlie Sheen. And I think gives them Jennifer Grey to take care of. Nobody seen <laughs> Red Dawn? You're like, not uh, for a while. Man. I have. I think I've chosen not to watch this movie. I don't know. I don't think it could live up to anybody what everybody okay. says about it. Um, so, uh, so he's brought in. And so what, what is his, uh, what's his whole methodology? How's he going to catch the phantom killer? I mean, did we establish why the, the police can't like what's going on here? He's just eluding them and not leaving any clues. I mean, do you think the blue eyes would like help narrow it down at least, right? Unless the description was never given by the victims? I don't, I don't think so. I think the only thing they ever get as far as the description goes is that he's uh, somewhat tall and he wears a hood over his head. Yeah. Well, I at one point, it. a key thing happens early on because uh, Ram Sheriff Ramsey or Deputy Ramsey, um, I can't remember if he was responding to a crime scene or he's just like, okay, we're going to go and canvas these lovers lanes. And he finds a car parked out in the middle of nowhere. And I think he hears some gunshots off in the woods. And so as he goes off traipsing after in a howling rainstorm to go see where the gunshots are coming from, it turns out it is the phantom killer and he doubles back and gets in his car and gets away. 
Yeah. But what I love about this and a scene later on is like, even when the phantom killer isn't being the phantom killer, he still wears the hood. He's still being the phantom killer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, later on when he shouldn't be wearing the mask, he is. Yeah. He's just always wearing the mask. Right. He's just like taking a brisk walk. It's like, ah, oh, I got to start my day with a cup of coffee, a walk and still wearing the mask. Yeah. That's great. Um, so, so that does give us a key piece of evidence because Ramsey does see what the car looks like, which yes. will come in later. But, um, so they're not able to catch this guy, which kind of boggles my mind. It makes me go like, well, how big is this town? Cause they're like, you know, we're bringing in, eventually they bring in the Texas Rangers, uh, or at least the Texas Ranger, right? Uh, um, is Morales brings in, what do you say? Like 12 of his guys. Plus yeah. the entire like police force, they start laying traps for the phantom killer by basically having police dress up as women. So, you know, uh, cops can sit in cars and pairs, look like a man and a woman and, and on lover's lane and hope to lure the phantom killer. Yeah. You got to tell us about uh, patrolman spark plug Benson. AC Benson. Uh, what do we all think about uh, Sparkplug Benson and his uh, com- uh, uh, his uh, uh, comedy relief in this movie? Uh, director Charles B. Pearson is AC Benson Sparkplug. Bam! In this movie. <laughs> yep. Michaela, what'd you think? I I don't like this at all. Like, what'd you think about the shifting tone? I hated it. I was like, I I was like, can this movie just like? take itself serious. It either needs to take itself seriously or not. And it needs to decide what it's going to do. Right. Cause it feels like it does most of the time until we get to spark plug. Yeah. You can't have that serious, like crime drama voiceover for like the first third of the movie. And then like cut to, isn't it hilarious guys dressing up as women? Like yeah, right but, after that. But he's yeah. also, he's like the, um, that was the Don Knotts character in Andy Griffith show. Uh, Barney. 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 Yeah. Barney Fife. Fife. Right. He is the Barney Fife of the Arc or the, the Texarkana police department. Basically. Uh, so like, you know, whenever he's like, there's a whole thing about how he can't drive. Nobody wants to ride in the car with him because, you know, they can, in- they're going to be in danger. He forgets keys and all this other kind of, you know, yeah. moments. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so, I mean, now from like our perspective, we're like, well, this just isn't generally how movies are made, right? You don't do that kind of drastic shifting tone because you're throwing off uh, any kind of suspense or whatever that you're building or the tone that you're establishing of this kind of dread with this, like, I mean, I don't know what you, you know, it's not slapstick comedy, but uh, it's a very tonally different moment whenever he's around. And so I'm yes. like, okay, but what were audiences of that time expecting in the seventies and 77? I mean, was this, and especially like we said, this is kind of this folksy regional thing where, uh, again, a lot of the appeal of these movies is I think, you know, while most movies take place in, in faraway cities, these are like, you know, a look at like your people, you know, <laughs> they're this kind of slice <laughs> of life of the people that, you know, so I'm like, yeah, you know, is it, you know, when we go to the movies, we want our thrills. And we want, you know, to laugh and, you know, we're just going to combine that all in one package. Yeah, it may have just been a thing. We're just like, we need to throw some laughs in there. So we'll have these parts for it. Because I got to assume the violence, some of the violence when it happens is um, 
you know, I mean, it's kind of grisly, I suppose, for, you know, it almost feels like this movie could be PG. Right? Except for the murders. <laughs> There's hardly any blood in this movie, though. Even when people do get murdered, it's not gory. No, but some of it, even if it's not gory, like there's a, a guy when yeah. when there is like this uh, home invasion kind of setup where that's the one. It's disturbing, right? Yes. Is that the one you it's, wanted to talk about, or you want to talk about the French horn? Or is that the uh, two? Well, what is it? Trombone. Tuba? Trombone. Yeah, thank you. Trombone. But like the in home invasion one has a scene that. Um, uh, <laughs> kind of like regarding Henry. Yeah. <laughs> which is, uh, which we've discussed here at length, which is weird. That's the one movie we've discussed a little bit at length. That scene yeah. has always been, uh, uh, uh terrifying. Um, uh, but yeah, let's backtrack and talk about our French horn scene, our, our, uh, trombone, trombone scene. Okay. French horn. Well, I mean, if you just French want to, horn wouldn't have the length. Oh, right. It's a French right. horn. So it's a trombone it's a circular round one. All right. At least it wasn't a tuba. Yeah. So he, the killer chooses. Would be pretty funny, honestly. The the tuba killer. I mean, that probably hasn't been made. You know, we could probably the tuba killer. The tuba killer. Oh, that's right. The Twilight tuba killer. Right. I think there's a reason the tuba killer has not yeah. been made. Um, he chooses one of the 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 scene probably that you remember from the you know the slasher scene from this that you remember if you've seen the movie is he chooses a victim. Uh, this woman who I believe is a, uh, uh, she's a uh, trombone player at the prom and he follows yeah. her out to the woods and I can't remember if she was with a guy. I think she was cause he's the one he shoots like, uh, on the barbed well, wire. Right. Yeah. And this is the one where they have the, the merry-go-round where the, the killer's stuck on the door and they just keep going in circles and everything. Yeah. And she's, and she screams a lot. Yeah. He gets his hand caught in the car and all this. And then uh, when he finally is able to subdue her, I can't remember if the guy's still alive and crawling through the mud and all this other stuff. Um, And he ties her up to the tree. So she's got her arms wrapped around the tree. Basically she's hugging the tree and the killer. And this is just, it's just odd, which is why I'm like, was this a part of the historical document? Like what the fuck? He picks up the tuba, right? That she's got. And he's kind of looking at it. Like, what am I going to do with this? And then he fashions a knife or fastens a knife to the, the end of it. So whenever he blows into the tuba, you know, the, I don't what's the, what do you call that? The part that extends out of the instrument um, has a knife on the end of it. So you blow into it, the thing shoots out and, and stabs. But he doesn't even really blow into it because he has the bag over his head. He just kind of pretends to do it and then pulls like the long part out. That's yeah. so annoying. If you're going to do it, commit to it and play the fucking trombone, man. I think that's why it kind of uh, reads this is, what, this is what I'm going to tell my kid when he joins high school band. I'm like, commit to it. Look what happens when you don't commit to it. <laughs> this movie. Well, they should have dubbed the the sound, you know, because that's what's missing is they, they, they didn't right. dub in the sound of the trombone being played because I'm like, okay, right. You can't blow through the mask. But if you dubbed it in there, I would have believed it. The only reason I'm right. questioning it is because it wasn't there. And I'm looking at some guy like trying to blow through a mask and just going, I'm going to stick you with this. I'm going to stick yeah, you with it again. You hear him inhale like he's going to blow through it. That's what's annoying. You hear him take like a big breath and then just nothing. And it's, it's like 90% there, you know? Yeah. It doesn't have to be good uh, right. sound that comes out. It's just got to have a sound. They don't do it. But I guess what's kind of creepy about it is just, you know, I mean, it's, it's disturbing. I mean, it, it works. It's, you know, basically seeing, you know, she's helpless. 
knows that her boyfriend's been shot and is possibly dying. And she's begging with the guy not to kill her. And he's just kind of toying with the thing going like, you know, and then he grabs it and puts the, you know, so he has time and she's realizing what he's going to do, you know, and that kind of buildup is like, and then he stabs her a bunch of times. I think I can't remember. She died. I believe she died. So we think she died. And I believe they both died in that one. And then the, the other one that was, um, kind of raw was the home invasion one, right? Yes. Which we were talking about earlier where he, you know, you got people inside a house. There's a man and a woman inside a house and the killer just kind of walks up. You know, we see like the guy sitting in his easy chair or whatever. And I think the wife is in the kitchen and the killer comes up to the window behind him and just like shoots him in the back of the head through the window. You right. know? It's like, okay, you're dead. Right. Back in the day when uh, uh, the caliber of his gun apparently wasn't very strong enough to kill someone, but not to like. It's not a grisly gunshot. Nothing explodes when you shoot the dude in the head. He just gets like two holes in the back of his head and he's going to bleed out from it. Well, he's got a silencer on, but I don't know if like the silencer slowed down a bullet. Like, you know, I mean, like, what are they shooting? BBs in this thing? I don't know. Like, what's a twenty-two? maybe like a really light caliber bullet. It feels like enough to kill someone. But again, not to. Well, he takes, a lot of he takes two shots. He shoots, shoots this guy twice, like in the back yeah. of the head. And the guy like is still able to crawl around before he dies. And then he comes yeah. after the wife and I believe he shoots her a bunch of times too. I mean, she takes like two or three shots, right? She takes two in the face. She takes one in the cheek. Oh, that's right. While she's on the phone. <laughs> yeah. She takes one in the cheek, which apparently now this one, this is um, the one that is based on what actually happened in the murder scene. The husband got shot twice through the window and then she got shot in the face, right in the cheek. And it went out the back of her head. And then the second one, she gets shot in the right in the lower mouth, which busted out a bunch of her teeth and eventually got stuck under her tongue. The bullet got lodged under her tongue. And they said there was like a river of blood from where she was got shot to her, like escaping the house. Wow. That sounds awful. Yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah. That's like way worse than just like going through your cheek and out the other side, you know? Yeah. That, that one just fucks everything up. And can you imagine how much you're bleeding from the mouth? Ooh. Well, and just anytime teeth are involved and getting knocked out, it's just really uncomfortable. Yep. And this woman, she survived, correct? If yeah. I'm remembering. She went, uh, I think she went even farther than what this movie says. She ran like she went to her neighbor's house, which was like yards, like uh, 50 yards away. They weren't home. Then she ran to another neighbor's house way down the way and finally like collapsed uh, on their front yard. And eventually she survived. Um, but yeah, rough going. Yeah. Do you guys ever worry about being that neighbor that doesn't open the door for when your neighbor needs help and then feeling like an asshole after the fact? <laughs> after you find out. Yeah. Because what like happened if someone next door. came to my door like like that, I would assume they're trying to hurt me and wouldn't let them in. Mm. You know? Yeah, I'm not I'm not opening the door for anyone banging right. on the door. Right. So that's why I'm always like, man, what if I I would feel like shit if that guy ended up being that neighbor that didn't open the door for them? Well, I suppose as long as you call the cops, right? That's the the general, like, call the cops. Somebody comes to your house, banging on the door, call the cops. Right, but, like, they could still die between, you know, yeah. them coming to your door and calling the cops, you know? Yeah. Right? Can you imagine them getting, like, murdered at your front door? Yeah, like, exactly. you didn't open the door and they just get murdered right there? Right. 
Ooh. All right, let's let's uh, bookmark that murder <laughs> for later years. Yeah. Well, the cops in the, the movie, thing, like especially when you're in a situation like that, you're not like you're pounding frank frantically on the door, screaming, and you're covered in blood. Like, how do I know you're a victim or the perpetrator? You know, right? Yeah, I don't know anymore. I'm not opening for anybody. Yeah. What's the child? <laughs> but even still, that could be a trap too, man. <laughs> I mean, it could be, but I'll take. My chances with the child. Are well, you gonna help Hopefully your fellow man? I suppose if somebody's in my house. Yeah. Well, at the end, in the 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 film wraps up because I mean, we I guess we know going into it that um, the killer was never caught. Yes. Right. So you right. know, going into this movie, I guess that's the deal that you're making is that I'm going to sit and watch the dramatization of these events, but I know that we are not going to apprehend the killer at the end. They get close because I guess Ramsey and um, the Texas Stranger, um, they spot a car or a car is spotted that uh, Ramsey remembers like that's the one. Right. Yeah. So they go out to a quarry and there's a chase that happens because, of course, they see the guy, as Sean said, still dressed up, you know, as he's just kind of poking <laughs> around in the woods. Like, what the fuck was he doing there? I don't know. He yeah. Was, he was like scoping out like where I'm going to take my next victim or something. Um, so. And. uh they end up giving chase and he loses them behind a, uh, he runs across, which was actually like a, a fairly okay stunt where he, he went across a train track in front of a train. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then they can't pursue him. There's some slow motion in this movie. Yeah. It's done, um, you know, during these scenes and during a car chase uh, early pretty on. Good. I, I like the slow-mo on this part. Yeah, well, in the car chase, too, because they, obviously they had stunts, so they were going to do it. They, they chased down at one point a suspect who they think is the uh, um, the phantom killer, but turns out not yeah. to be. And a car goes into a lagoon or whatever. Spark plug, yes. you know, I just can't Thank count you, spark it as, plug. as driving. Um, but they do I shoot love- this guy in the leg. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I love all the moments where everyone's just like, yeah, I'm the phantom, you caught me. <laughs> like, everyone volunteering to be to be uh, uh, convicted as the phantom killer. Well, that's like a thing that actually happens though. I mean, when, you know, it's a strange phenomenon where everybody wants to take credit for being, you know, the, some killer, which is going to, you know, mean that they get put away probably. He's like, bring on the newspaper people. I'll give you a confession. Yeah. They never talk about that guy again. No. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the phantom, so they, they wing him, they shoot him with shotguns as they're shooting underneath the train as it goes by and they, they wing him. I mean, he gets shot in the leg and then, you know, pan up to the woods. It's like, you know, some people say anyone who goes into those woods, they never come out. Some people say the phantom killer still lurking the streets of Texarkana today. Yeah. There's another scene. I love the last shot though. I do too. They show him uh, because everyone's lining up to watch the town of Madrid at sundown at the theater in Texarkana. That's on the marquee out there. Um, and they just show a pair of feet that is now limping in line to go watch the movie, mm-hmm. which is a good ending. Yeah. With that voiceover that like some say he's still out there. Some say he's lurking the streets. You know, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that um, is a good open ended way to leave it. I know. As far as like the, the shootout. Um, that was Andrew prime tells a good story about this. Um, him and, uh, Ben Johnson would, uh, hang out a lot during the making of this movie. And I think it was like the night before they got 
uh, uh, knockdown drunk. And I think they even says they were still drunk that next morning. <laughs> and there was no uh, ending for the movie. And so Andrew Prime came up with this idea of the shootout at the end to add into it, which never really happened. This is not based on any sort of um, real part of the, the crimes or anything. But um, apparently they were still extremely drunk that next morning and really hated shooting that ending. But Andrew Prime, they were all just exhausted and hungover and drunk that they just came up with that. I think on the day, he says, to do that to end the movie because there was no ending to the movie, apparently. This is according just to Andrew Prime. Yeah, I don't know how that happens. How do you how do you like go into a movie and don't know how it's gonna wind up? I know there were some scenes I think I heard about, you know, uh because Pierce used the technique that he did in the original movie, which was just you know, he'd tell in order to get naturalistic performances from a lot of the non actors, right? I mean, obviously you have Prine and, and uh Prine and, and Johnson are professionals. And giving it your above the line star power, but a lot of the other people were not actors and not professional actors, right? A lot of them, I think, just the townsfolk. He'd meet somebody at a gas station and say, "You look good. You come and be in my movie." So he'd right. basically just tell them, like, "This is what's going on in the scene. Just you know, do it the way you would do it." So you kind of get natural dialogue out of it, you know? Yeah. Because there was that one guy uh, who was. Um, he was the uh, black guy who was telling, you know, who would uh, encountered the, or he was a cab driver. Right? Yeah. That, you know, he thought that he saw, you know, he would, gave a ride to this guy who he thought was a suspect of the Phantom Killer. Yeah, that guy was real. When, yeah. Cause that's what I'm like, was he actually, you know, like he just rambled that stuff off. And I'm like, that didn't sound like he was, you know, something written, <laughs> you know? No. And he's got no delivery for it. Just like a dude talking. Yeah, I mean, it was extremely, like, realistic and, and very naturalistic and relaxed, you know? Yes. Um, the way that people actually talk. And that's why I'm like, that's what he kind of brought to, Pierce brought to Legend of Boggy Creek and this, I think, right? Is that kind yeah. of, uh, yeah. Uh, there was another scene earlier where I think when the cops all go to uh, dinner and they're at a restaurant and they're talking. And I thought, like, at the time, I'm like, well, you're going to talk about this case, like, publicly in a restaurant? And we're given the impression that the killer is at a table over because at some yeah. point it pans over to a, a couple of, you know, a pair of feet who, you know, and the guy legs stand up and walk out and, you know, just, it's like, Ooh, is that the killer? Right. He's to got the same shoes they are a little muddy. Yeah. So he's yeah. always there. He's a phantom. He's everywhere. Yep. Well, it turns out in real life, the prime suspect in the case was a guy named Yule Swinney. Who apparently was a career petty criminal, and uh, he was linked to the murders apparently by statements from his wife. Uh, but then she didn't; she refused to testify against him. And so, according to the internet, uh, the prosecutors didn't have enough evidence then, and so didn't uh, pursue the case. So he was never convicted, but he was uh, a habitual car thief and forger, and was. Uh, incarcerated for those crimes and so he was off the streets for that yeah i think he was one of those uh this is your third strike you go away for life um i think he did served his, like 25 years did his incarceration line up with when the attack stopped i don't think anybody's done the uh the red string on that timeline <laughs> well no the, the well so. the prosecutor i guess the, uh they did say that the prosecutors all you know thought it was him like he was their guy 
Yeah. Um, they just couldn't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt or prove it in court. You know, they didn't think their case was strong enough, but they were like, it's this guy. So there you go. Boom. The town dreaded sundown. Yeah. (laughs) And then years later, they made a remake slash sequel. Down regretted sundown again. So now there's at least two. Um, okay. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, listener, thank you for sticking with us this far. We're going to go a little bit further. We're going to tell you individually what we thought of the movie town of dreaded sundown, whether you should watch it. But before that, we're going to answer some of your mail. And to do that, we're going to have to summon our mailman and his name is Igor. Bring us the mail. Masters, masters, the mail. I've got the mail. So many letters. Our followers are rising, rising. Why, thank you, Igor. He's got a paper bag over his head. It's not, it's not quite the same. Not quite the same, Igor. But he's trying. Yeah. Like I'm sure he didn't have anything just hanging around. Yeah, we appreciate the effort. Um, well, we want to remind you how you can, uh, write in. We'll read some of your mail. All you got to do is follow along on Facebook, facebook.com slash freak show, or maybe Twitter's your thing at sat freak show. What about email? We have one of those Saturday at freak show at yahoo.com. And we're also on Instagram and that's Saturday night freak show about the town that dreaded sundown. Michael Whitaker writes in and says, I only know it by its reputation, but if it's anything like Charles B Pierce's other movie, boggy Creek, be prepared for a lot of music vignettes. Also, who knows? Maybe the killer is a swamp Bigfoot. Also fun fact, boggy Creek two is one of the more popular episodes of the mystery science theater. 3000 Pierce even stars in it. And it might be good for a movie for the podcast. Well, guess what? He stars in this one too. Michael He's in both of them. I wonder if he yeah. comes back as spark plug. Yeah. I was curious oh, it's about a shared that universe. <laughs> I hope it's a shared universe. That'd be awesome. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Cause I, I, I wonder is, uh, he, is he in the original legend of Boggy Creek? I, yeah, I don't remember. Well, Sean just watched it. I did. I, well, again, very high. Okay. Um, right. But I, there's a, uh, and you didn't know who to look out for. <laughs> You know, I know what he looks like, but I think he was, if he was in it, there's um, uh, a credit for Chuck Pierce, which is what he went by sometimes. Mm. So I think he's in it, but it's uh, a tiny, tiny cameo, if that. Okay. All right. Robin Lineman Silverberg says, I think the 2014 version would have made for a more interesting conversation. Uh, I, I hope we did that too. I can you gotta, see why they'd say that. You know? Sure. After watching the movie, but I think you gotta like, I think you gotta watch this one before you even get to that one. Yeah, I think so too. I think you have to. Well, Apple Leva says, if I've seen this one, it's been a while, though I thought the remake in 2014 was pretty good. Uh, Jacob Kotner says, I really enjoy this movie. I'm from Arkansas and have spoken with people that live in Texarkana when this happened, so it feels close to home when I watch it. It's not a great film, but the story carries it through. There are some unique kills like the trombone knife. And I hope you guys are good. Keep freaking. Keep freaking. Thank you. I like that. Keep freaking. Keep freaking. We will sign off. That's right. Jacob is on uh, refund theater. The podcast also. Um, BT 208 says I'd waited years to watch this movie being that I'm cheap and wait for streaming services to carry movies. Though when I watched this one, it was, I was totally sympathetic to the killer. 
the victims scream way too much and too loud. There definitely aren't any scream queens here. They did scream a lot. I thought my neighbors, my neighbors are going to think I'm weird. Because there's a lot of movies where there's just screaming going on coming from this apartment. I mean, would they be wrong in their assessment, Sean? No. No, it's like, no because if they came to the door and asked what was going on, I'd be like, I'm watching a horror I'm movie. I'm just really high. I'm screaming to die. I got really high and watched a horror movie. And the re- the repetition of that, they'd be like, okay. It's nothing to see here. But that's yeah. also what the serial killer says when he's watching his greatest hits, right? Oh, I got a movie going on in the back. Yeah, I got, a, I, got a, I got a tape I got to watch. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mark Harrison says, good luck with this one. It's a slow film. Uh, about last week's episode, Resident Evil Apocalypse. Sushi Fangs. Oh, that was just last week. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> well, Sushi Fangs writes in and says, I literally cried out of laughter hearing everyone's reactions to Colin's pick of Resident Evil Apocalypse. <laughs> Personally, out of the series, this film is my favorite because it has a bit of lore from the video games. I'm somewhat deep into Resident Evil lore and see- hardly seeing any of the cr- the creatures from the series bothers me. The only thing I would change about the movie is to make Alice into a known character or a scrapped character from the games. And personally, I would scrap the entire film series and reboot it to the prequel, Resident Evil Zero. Resident Evil Zero. I think uh, somebody's doing a series. Oh, is that what's happening? It's yeah, not going to be. Networks has decided to do a Resident Evil series. Oh, that's the one I think that James Wan is overseeing. Maybe it's not a movie. Oh, maybe. It's a maybe. Yeah, I think they're doing a series. Uh, Nelson Nascimento writes in and says, I'm not sure what it is about this franchise. The movies look slick visually and are entertaining enough while you're watching them, but I couldn't tell you anything about them after watching them. For real. I don't, they just go in one ear and out the other, man. Nemesis. Uh, uh all, all, the only emotion I have, uh, when I see something about these is like, Oh, I'm happy for Colin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause, Cause he gets another one. But the title, the generic nature of the titles does not help either. Yeah. Well, like, it's just random words. Extinction, apocalypse, like. Retribution. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just like, I, I, if I didn't care before, those names are just like, well, no, I really don't care. Cause, right. Bleh. That's right. Just put a number by it. Well, yeah, that'll please. be okay. Resident Evil 6. Okay. That's how the uh, games are named. I know. But then maybe you'd think that it was an adaption of that particular game. Uh, who knows? Right. Would that be so bad? They're all messed you up. Know? Uh, Grant Parrish says, I remember someone saying these movies were just Paul W.S. Anderson's way of saying, look at my ridiculously hot wife. Could be. I uh, mean, well, you got to be thinking that at some point. If they're paying you to make these movies and your wife's in it, you're just like, look, this is what I get to do. <laughs> I feel like movies. you could say that about quite a few directors, honestly. Yeah. No That's Zombie. not exclusive to him. Um, uh, about the week before we watched the movie called Judge Dread. Oh, sorry, we watched Dread. Not Judge yeah. Dread. Good God. Caught myself. Thank God. We watched Dread 2012. Anyway, on social media, we asked who wore the costume better. Was it Carl Urban or Sylvester Stallone? Nicholas Capriola writes in and says it's Stallone all day. But Cosroy says it's 2012. It's Carl Urban. One wore it for the whole movie and one wore it for about five minutes. And 2012's version also has less Rob Schneider. The costume from the 20 uh, from the Stallone version is pretty uh, garish, like it's outlandish, like all the gold that yeah. he's got on his shoulders and everything. It's pretty loud. Well, it's, it's closer loud. Like, to the comic. I, I like it. Yeah, 
it's close to the comic, but he's wearing a he's wearing like a, a tights underneath it, like a black leotard. It's like that yeah. does not seem like it has any kind of body armor. The Carl Urban yeah. one is more, you know, functional law tactical. enforcement <laughs> tactical. Yeah. Uh, Simon Carter says it's a, that's a tough one to call. I think Urban's movie allowed the character of Dread to be more in keeping with the comics, whereas the Stallone they wanted Stallone to ditch the helmet as, as soon as possible, and they wanted him on the screen rather than a character. And I don't think Stallone's performance was the problem, but I'm going to go with Urban on this one as to who wore it better. Travis Legler agrees. He says it's Urban by far. However, this is because the filmmakers for the 2012 film were able to look back in what didn't work. For the Stallone film, True. Uh, Jacob Laws said, in a way, this was a diehard remake and a very good diehard remake at that. Just being stuck in a building, I guess. Yeah, I know. A terrorist trying to blow up. Marcos Martis says the he truly enjoyed the 2012 version. And Appy L says this is desperately needing a sequel rather than many others and or reboots. So. There you go. I mean, Carl Urban agrees I totally with you. Watch a sequel. So where's the Dread TV show? The Mega City One TV show. Then the judges can just show up. Yeah. I think we I think we got I think we got everything we needed to get out of the one movie. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people clamoring for a sequel. There's been like change.org so. petitions and all that stuff. I don't know about you. So boys, I think you'll get here. It kicks off that one. There you go. All right. So now we're going to go around and tell you what we thought of the town that dreaded sundown, starting Michaela. with well, Michaela. first. All uh, right. What'd you think about this movie? Uh, here's the thing about this movie. It's something I've been looking forward to watching for a long time. I always thought it was like this hidden gem slasher that I was like saving for a special occasion kind of thing. Right. And it's funny that you picked it because, Sean, this is going to be my next pick. And my logic was the same as yours, that it's like a steamy, like, summer slasher. Like, now's the time to watch it. It's not a fall movie. No. It's a summer movie. And uh, it, like, there are some things about this movie that I, like, absolutely love. Like, I, I'm always a sucker for, like, a Lover's Lane type setup for any sort of horror movie. Um let alone if it's a lover's lane, like actually in like a period piece, like the forties or the fifties or whatever, like, cause then you get the aesthetic of the beautiful cars, you get the fashion, you get like just the whole aesthetic and vibe of that time period paired with the slasher narrative is like, that's like catnip. I just love it, you know, but this movie unfortunately doesn't employ a lot of the filmmaking conventions of a slasher. And that's where it like loses points for me. Like the constant tone change and the kind of just like meandering nature of the movie. Like Colin, you kind of said it best when you said it's more of like, here's just like a snapshot of what this town was like and how they were like affected by this event rather than like, here's how this event happened, you know? And if I was going to make a movie about this type of true crime event, this is not how I would do it. And this is not the type of movie I would want to watch. I want something more like the Zodiac side of things. Um, I wish it was a little more self-serious. Um, that being said, like the trombone scene is awesome. The shot through the window is awesome. So I guess I'm going to give it a light recommend because I do think there is enough here. It's like a C plus, right? If there's enough here to pass it, but I'm not like, Oh, you need to see it right away. So I'm going to give it a light recommend. Colin, what did you think of the town that dreaded sundown? Um, okay. So the, yeah, the, um, I mean, I think that's the thing you, uh, 
putting it, putting the movie in its historical context is one thing I think, you know, and that's probably where I would recommend it. Right. It's like, if you're looking at the history of horror films, uh, especially these true crime, you know, slash slasher prototype uh, movies, um, it's interesting to just kind of try, you know, put it in there as an evolution of the, the genre more than it is, is, you know, like, are you actually going to get a lot of entertainment value out of watching it? Um, you know, av- you know, cause I want to see a, a, a decent slasher movie. Cause that, you know, I think, like I said, to me, that's what I expected, but that's not what it is, but just taken on its own terms. It's got this kind of uh quaint folksy atmosphere that I liked about both this and the legend of Boggy Creek. Um, they are kind of movies that unfold at their own pace. So take that as what you will. I did think that the killing, the killings and the killer himself. I mean, I thought that that was, uh, persuasively creepy, maybe unsettling just, you know, I mean the whole idea of like, anytime you get like some sniper or, you know, that whole thing of, uh, you know, it does kind of, it creates this sense of like, there's a claustrophobic mood that kind of sets in over the town. This is again, helped out by the, uh, I think, you know, the staging of the kill scenes and the narration, you know, kind of sets it up because it gives you this God's eye perspective of what everybody's doing and how they're reacting to this. So it's like a society reacting to, um, the anomaly that, you know, in their midst, the disruptive, um, you know, event. Um, and it, you know, it does have that, you know, creepy ending which is the uh you know the killer is still out there and apparently walking among you today and you'll never know who he is um so i don't know yeah i i I think i would recommend it um i think like michaela it's a slight recommend it's not like a wholehearted you know you got to see this movie um but i mean if you've listened to this podcast as long as you have and and it it sounds interesting then you should probably check it out um i don't know it was uh i've seen it twice now i mean i'm not like in a hurry to go back to it but I did enjoy uh, the town that dreaded sundown uh, Sean. And I like the, the remake too. And I think those would probably yeah. make like a pretty good double feature. You just watch yeah. one and then watch the other. I mean, the other one's technically probably a better movie um, and it's more attuned to a modern sensibility. So actually that would be a, probably a good night, you know, watch yeah. the first one and then the second one, like right after it. So uh, Sean, what'd good. you think? Um, I think for the town, the dreaded sundown, I think, uh, historically, um, in a historical context, I think it's a movie you got to watch. Um, yeah, you guys are right. It's never going to be like a hard recommend for this movie. Like, Oh, you got to go see it right now. It's pretty much like, uh, Michaela gave it a C plus. I would say like B like it's a, it's a good B it literally a B movie. Um, but I, I would grade it on a B. I, it does have some, uh, uh, some parts that, again, I think we've all discussed that we really like that. I like that ending. I love the uh, narration, kind of like the true, true, true crime-esque atmosphere of the movie. Um, it does get a little like it, it does meander. Like you said, Colin, it does go at its own pace. So that's something you have to be, I think, ready for when you get into this movie. Um, it's not a, it's not what you expect it to be. It is not a full on slasher movie. Um, but what it does do, there's certain moments that it does, I think, really good. Um, there is some raw stuff in here. Like we talked about the final home invasion act of the movie is pretty good. Um, the way it's been shot. Um, 
again, it's, it's stuff we've seen before, but, uh, I still think they do it well. Uh, I'm going to recommend it too. Um, uh, like everyone else said, it's a soft recommend. You don't have to rush out to see it, but I think you do need to see it. I think it's, it's, um, place in history, I think requires that you at least see it at some point. So yeah, I'm going to recommend the town that dreaded sundown and definitely go for that double feature of this and the 2014 version. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I recommend it. All right. Well, that was a unanimous, uh, freak show approved town that Indeed. dreaded sundown. <laughs> Sounds like it was right on the fence, but it, okay. Yep. It made um, Holly throw up. So I, I think she'll give her, uh, <laughs> uh, uh <laughs> give her a recommendation too. It didn't really, but yeah. What was the scene? She said there. Uh, I think it was the trombone. The trombone. She yeah. said, "Yeah, that was the last thing she saw." She said, "Yeah." yeah. Um. So next week we're going to be watching a movie that's chosen by Michaela. We're doing a little switcheroo next week, and you're up. Uh, I know. It so feels like I just picked, didn't I? <laughs> I know. Since I stole your movie, uh, what are you going to pick? All right. So we're going to go a little bit different than what I've been doing lately. I did a lot of blockbusters. That's done. We did it. Um, we're going to watch a movie called Uninvited from 1988. This is not the Uninvited. This is just Uninvited. Okay. You scared me because no. I've seen the Uninvited. The, un- is, um, the Uninvited. This is a movie the... about a cat on a yacht. Oh, okay. I've always wanted to see this. Is it Peter Cushing in this movie? Yeah, uh, it, I, mean, I, I got the wrong one. So. I've never actually seen this. I've just heard a lot about it. So okay. we'll find out. Saying, nobody say anything more because you said all the words I need. Uh, Sh- Sean, you should look up the poster art for this movie. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Okay. So. It's like a cat coming out of a cat's mouth or something like that. I can't yeah. remember. It's, yep. Uninvited from 1988. Not the uninvited, just uninvited. Look for a yacht and a cat, listeners. Okay. Well, I can't wait because I have been circling this one for a while. I have never committed. Me too. So. I've been looking go. for the right opportunity. <laughs> it's the end of summer, so time to go for a little boat cruise, you know? Okay. So. All right. For some yacht rock. Can we get our... Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, so that's next week on the Saturday Night Freak Show. And until then, the multiple basements are going dark.